Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. Uh, If you've been with us uh, for the last several programs, you know that we are in a new teaching series, Important Prophecy Terms. Uh, We have been, we've spent a lot of time in the past going over why study prophecy, That was our um, initial program to kind of set the stage to give us a foundation from the Bible about why it's so important to even get into the prophecy parts of the Bible, because you really don't uh, find much of that being taught today. You have to go dig it out for yourselves. And uh, when I got into it a number of years ago, I got so excited about it because it it was giving me a foundation of hope to establish what is this hope that we, we hear about in Titus 2.13 and other. What is our great hope? And our great hope, of course, is eternal life with uh, Jesus and God the Father. And so what is that? Can I can I put a structure together? Can I put any bones and, together and meat on it and whatnot? And, of course, that's what God has given us in his precious word we call the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Remember, a third of the Bible is about prophecy. God wants us to know all the details about what he has done, what he is doing, and for us today, just as importantly, if not more so, what he's going to do in the future. That's what this prophecy is about. And the Bible is so clear and so replete with details about these future prophecies that get me so excited. One, to understand and to believe what God is going to do for me and with me as part of these prophecies as a believer in his son, Jesus Christ. But I think to an extent it's important that we also know what God's plans are for those who refuse his son, who see his son Jesus as the son of a man, not the son of God. That there is so much to be uh, learned about that and that how that will help you as you share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with people, to help them see that there are two sides to this picture. It's not all peace, love, and happiness with Jesus that uh, as, as somebody who's being talked to as an unbeliever, as you share the gospel, the gospel includes also what God is going to do with the unbeliever. And as they understand that, I think it will give them a foundation of understanding that would lead them back, lead them back to want to look more closely and more deeply into this personage called Jesus Christ and to find out that indeed he is the Son of God and it's only through him that you can have eternal life and not have to be worried. Somebody who is fearful uh, today is somebody who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because fear comes with, with an understanding of future judgment. And we know that the Son of God, who we believe, is going to judge us, the church, for our 
works on the earth and we will be rewarded for them. Whereas the son of man is going to judge unbelieving mankind for the sins that they have committed. Their sins will be remembered and they will be remembered in detail. The books will be opened and the accounts of all their sins are going to be laid before them before they are judged and sent to the lake of fire, uh, which is eternal separation from God. And if you have an understanding that, certainly as a believer, but just as I think importantly as an unbeliever, it helps lead you uh, like the law leads you to Jesus, an understanding of what is in store for those who follow the Son of Man or, or see him as the Son of Man, maybe not follow, see him as the Son of Man, what's in store for them that that would lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we have been in point number one in our worksheet, which is available from the radio station here. And we have been looking at John chapter 5, showing us the distinction, a very clear distinction, I believe, in John chapter 5, verses 21, really down through 29, to show you the distinctive difference in the manifestation of Jesus as the Son of God, one who is going to come to reward and to give eternal life, and the Son of Man who is going to come and judge and mete out punishment for sin, the result being eternal separation from God in what's called the lake, the lake of fire. Uh, and then we, we wanted to spend just a little bit of time, and we started in Matthew chapter 16 and looking at verse 27, and we spent some time in our last program uh, kind of giving some background context on Matthew 16, because this is a major transition uh, passage in the Bible in the ministry of Jesus Christ while he was on the earth. This passage outlines the transition between his offering of the gospel of the kingdom specifically to Israel. Remember, all through the Old Testament, God's plan was that God would be revealed to Israel first, and then Israel, through a belief in what they learned about God, would then be the priests who would take this gospel of God to the world, that the world would be saved through the Jews. You find that in John, as a matter of fact. But that was the plan, was that Israel would be saved through a belief in Jesus as their Messiah, and that they would then take the gospel to the world. Well, they failed to do that. They failed to recognize Jesus as their Messiah early on in Matthew 16. So he transitions from the gospel of the kingdom, the offer of the kingdom to Israel, which would then benefit the world, to taking away that offer and postponing it until he comes again at his second coming. And in the meantime, we have the church. So he transitions from that gospel of the kingdom to Israel to the gospel of grace to the church, to the world, anybody in the world, Jew or Gentile, that would accept his son, his death, burial, and resurrection would be part of this gospel of grace, this kingdom of God, if you will, uh, in heaven, which is made up of believers. Um, we're not a church of brick and mortar. We're a church of believers, and we make up the church as it is today. The Jews are still looking forward to their earthly kingdom but that has been postponed until the second coming. So we uh, have seen that, and now we've, we've transitioned, and I wanted to show you the latter part of Matthew 16, and that's verse 
27, and let's add on 28 for context here. It says in Matthew 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man, so there you see that term. So he's referring to, he's, he's addressing unbelievers. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels. This is the second coming. And will then repay every man according to his deeds. And if you take that verse and lift it out without looking at context, what's before it, what's after it, uh, you might easily say, well, this Son of Man is associated with the rapture because it says that he will come in his glory and will repay every man according to his deeds. Well, in effect, yes, Jesus will, at the Bema seat, following the rapture, repay every man according to his deeds, every member of the church. But that repayment is going to be rewards. That he's going to recompense you for what you did. He's going to reward you for what you did on this earth after having accepted him as your Lord and Savior. So Jesus wants to make it clear that, no, you can't interpret it that way. It says, Son of Man, and I've already established in John 5 that the Son of Man is coming to judge wickedness. So he gives you verse 28. So let's look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here. So he's talking to the apostles. Remember, they're at Caesarea Philippi. He's brought them together to ask them who the people of Israel say that Jesus is. And he says, some of those who are standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So a couple of things that you're thinking, oh my goodness, somebody's going to be living for a long, long time. Well, that's not what's meant here. He's talking about the man of transfiguration. And notice also that he uses the term Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Because remember what it said above. The Son of Man is coming to judge, to repay every man according to his deeds, and this is going to be a judgment for sins. Ours is the Son of Man judging for uh, works and righteousness and therefore rewards, but this is for sins. And he says, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And they're thinking, wow, what could that possibly mean? Well, the Bible tells you in the very next verse, uh, Matthew 17, verse 1, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain. And it's this is called the the passage describing the the um, Mount of Transfiguration, and it shows Jesus standing there with them, and then in front of their eyes, he is transfigured into his glorified personage of what he will look like when he comes back at his second coming. And he comes back at his second coming as the son of man because he's coming back principally to judge the world for its unrighteousness. So he wants them to see him, as it said, if you look back in your Bible up at the last verse of of the last chapter, you will not taste death until you see the son of man coming in his kingdom. So that's what he's going to look like, and he wants them to see that as kind of a preview of what the second coming is going to look like. And, of course, we know as well that he has Moses and Elijah there, and God did this specifically. We've talked about this before. God did this specifically to make sure that the people knew that Jesus was the one that they were to focus on, not Moses or Elijah. In fact, God himself 
verbally is heard saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Just as was prophesied back in Deuteronomy 18, as you see in our worksheets. If you have a chance and you haven't done that, go back to Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 17 and see the same words spoken 1,400 years before when Moses announced the prophecy about Jesus coming. So we see that manifested right here. But what we're seeing is a glorification of the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He's coming to set up his kingdom that he had promised Israel the first time. They denied him. They denied who he was. Therefore, they said, we don't want your kingdom because we don't believe you're our king. Well, that didn't stop him because he's a covenant-keeping God. He will fulfill the covenant promises he made. God will set up a kingdom, and he will do it through his son, Jesus Christ. But that's yet future. So he's giving them a preview of what this looks like when he comes back at the second coming as the son of man. So a, a very clear picture here of the manifestation of Jesus as the judge for unrighteousness. The judge will be the son of man. And you see that used twice here. Um, now let's go to uh, Romans. We're in Matthew, so to the right, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We want to go to Romans, and we want to go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And we want to look at verse 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. And Romans chapter 2, verse 16 reads, On the day when, according to my gospel, and this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So this is talking again about the second coming when Jesus, remember we read back in, in um, John chapter 5, verse 22, that God the Father had turned over all judgment to the Son. So all the judgments that we're going to be studying um, in our 30 prophetic events going forward here, all these judgments will be led by Jesus, not God. Um, and it says he will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So he's going to recompense them for their deeds. And this is talking about their sinful deeds while here on the earth. So this is a follow-on to what we saw in Matthew chapter uh, 16. And now uh, to build on this point in Romans chapter 2 verse 16 about there is a day on the day. So let's build on that particular point because God is a very specific, uh, time-focused God. He does things um, in, in great detail when it comes to time and place and so forth, and we see that throughout all the prophecies. And that is uh, amplified, I believe, in Acts. So we go back from Romans to the left into Acts. We want to go to Acts chapter 17. You see that on your worksheet. Acts chapter 17 and we want to go to Acts 17, verse 31. Acts 17, verse 31. It says, because he has fixed a day. So there's a very specific day, yet future, 
in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And it's very clear, particularly when you look at raising from the dead, you know he's talking about this man being Jesus the Christ. So he's fixed today when he's going to judge the world in righteousness. So he's going to, as a righteous judge, Jesus, the Son of Man, is going to sit in judgment of the world for all of their sinful deeds, for all the ways that they refuse to accept him as the Son of God. So he will judge them as the Son of Man on that fixed day. And that, of course, is, is involved with the second coming of Christ, which is, is yet future. So very specific. And again, the point here, another point here, is that he says a fixed day. So there's a day fixed in God's calendar when this is going to take place. There are those that say, hey, if we get really active as the church, as believers, and we start doing a whole bunch of good things, we can, we can uh, change it so that Christ will come back sooner, that Christ, we will hasten his return to the earth. That, as a matter of, as In effect, what it's saying is we, mankind, can dictate to God through our actions God's timetable. <laughs> and that, of course, is uh, nothing short of ludicrous there that you can't do that. And one way you would address that to somebody who suggests that you can affect God's timetable is by going to Acts chapter 17, verse 31, and showing them that there is a fixed day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. So let's um, let's build on that a little bit, and let's go uh, to another place, and that's in Jude. So this is the uh, tiny, tiny book of Jude, one chapter, and it's sitting there right at the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. So you find the book of Revelation there at the end and work your way back, and you'll find the book of Jude. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. And in Jude chapter, uh, there's a one chapter, Jude verses 14 and 15. So Jude verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones. 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, be kind of hard-pressed to find a passage that's more clear about what Jesus is going to do at his second coming. And I refer us back to John chapter 5, where it said that John, that uh, Jesus will, as the Son of Man, execute judgment. And you see that exact phrase there at the beginning of verse 15. So Jesus manifested as the Son of Man, because that's how unbelievers see him, is going to stand before all these unbelievers 
and execute judgment and convict them of all their ungodly deeds. All right, we're now going to um, move into our Q&A period. So next, uh, in our next program, we'll launch into Luke chapter 1 and start looking at the aspects of the Son of God. We're going to spend the rest of our time on the Son of God just looking at that term now that we've addressed the Son of Man aspect. And we'll do that in our next program. So let's now transition over to our Q&A time, which we do every program. We've got a question we've been working on for several programs having to do with the Holy Spirit during the tribulation. And uh, the question is, if the Holy Spirit, who is also called the restrainer of evil, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, is taken out of the way uh, before the beginning of the tribulation so that the Antichrist can be revealed, remember at at the rapture of the church, Um, all the righteous people will be taken off the earth. Well, the righteous people are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit and the church are removed, then where is the Holy Spirit so that the tribulation saints that are described in Revelation 20, verse 4, can be saved? Very good question. And we talked about God uh, being directly involved in the earth, uh, the activities of the earth, and how he can't do that because of sin, God cannot be present in the presence or not have sin in his presence. And we talked over several programs about how God was here interacting directly with man at the very beginning in Genesis, at the point of the fall, and then you don't see him interacting directly with man again until the very end of Revelation when we have the new Jerusalem and the purified Uh, new heavens and new earth where there is no sin. So we see God in the new Jerusalem coming down to the earth, which is what he's always wanted from the beginning was to be able to tabernacle with his people, to be among his people. So he was at the beginning of Genesis when there was no sin, and he will be again when there's no sin once again in the new heavens and the new earth that we find called eternity. And we'll describe that in uh, Revelation 22 later on. But we wanted to now transition. If God's not here interacting with us directly, how is how is he interacting with us? Because we know that he never leaves the earth because the Bible tells us that there's always has been, is, and always will be a remnant on the earth until things are completely made perfect. So as long as there's a remnant of believers on the earth, God's presence in some form, in some manifestation, will be on the earth. So uh, we went through um, looking at the fact uh, real quickly, and we want to get into detail uh, later, but we would look very quickly at Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, to see that the Holy Spirit was here at the beginning of creation. Then we went to Revelation 22, verse 17, to show that the Spirit is once again listed as being there at the end of Um, where you have a description of the eternal state. So the Holy Spirit in one form or another is always here on the earth. But we want to dig into that deeper through the scriptures to help more fully answer your your question, Rich, because I think it's important that we do that rather than just say, hey, he's here. Let's see what the scriptures say. But we want to go... um, little bit uh, deeper here. We looked at God. Why isn't God directly involved? So how does he deal, uh, particularly in the Old Testament? 
And we want to go uh, first to Hebrews chapter 1 and establish a foundation of understanding. Hebrews chapter 1, we want to go to verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers uh, in the prophets and in, as he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the world. So the the point here in going to Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 is to show how God interacted with man um, from the Old Testament and then going into the New Testament. So all through the Old Testament, he interacted through the prophets, and we'll look at several other ways that he interacted with man here as we go through some scriptures in the Old Testament. And then we transition to his son, uh, who was on the earth for a short uh, 32 years, that he interacted directly that way, and he could do that even though the earth is sinful because he came down to the earth and became a man in the likeness of man, and that's important to understand, that it was in the likeness of man that he came down here so that he could be in a sinful environment even though he's God. He gave up being God to become man in the form of the Son of God. So we want to get into that, and then Once he left, the Holy Spirit comes, and we'll get into that in detail. The Holy Spirit comes, and that's what's going on right now, is the Holy Spirit is on the earth indwelling the church uh, in, in the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So we are the restrainers of evil today and have been since the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 at what's called Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been acting through us in the world on behalf of God. And so we are the church. We're called Christians. Christian means little Christs. And we are, we are basically uh, ambassadors, as the Bible says. We are direct appointed representatives of God here on this earth in the interim. And then, of course, the church is raptured out. And we'll go into a different manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the Old Te- in the tribulation. And again, we've got a lot to talk about here going forward. So um, it's not a it's not a short answer, but I think it's very edifying to go into the scriptures and look at the different aspects, the different views of this. And I don't mean views in terms of one against another, but manifestations of God and how God, in His gracious love. Uh, has chosen to interact with sinful man because there is a remnant of righteous people uh, who believe in him, believe in his son, believe in his Holy Spirit, always on the earth. So he will never leave us as orphans, as Jesus says in the book of John. Never leave us as orphans. But let's go back and look at some interesting things. And, and one of the things I wanted to look at, well, there's actually several aspects. God actually came down to the earth in several forms to communicate with man. And one of those was what's called the angel of God. Now, there are angels, and then there are there is the angel of God. And it's important that we distinguish between angels and the angel of God because we're going to show that the angel of God is the pre-incarnate Christ. And we'll do that in our next program. 
Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.